My name is Craig. If we haven't met, I'm very glad you're here this morning. And contrary to what we just experienced, I believe we are suffering from disconnection. Now, I'm not trying to take away anything from the pleasant conversations we just had. Those are real. Those are wonderful. They're great. And we suffer from disconnection. My parents' generation, in surveys that they would fill out, would say, when asked, how many confidants do you have? What's a confidant, you ask? A confidant is someone that you trust, you can share your secrets with, you can unpack and process your day. How many confidants do you have? When my parents' generation was asked that question, they would respond by saying, three. I have three people I know can always be there for me. When my generation, which is none of your business, no, I'm kidding. I'm a millennial. It's fine. I'm just embracing it. Uh, my generation and below, when asked how many confidants do you have, the answer was zero. We are growing more and more isolated as each year passes. In the 1970s, the majority of us trusted our neighbors. In the 1970s. Fast forward to the year 2000. Social scientist Robert Putnam pointed out that almost nobody trusts their neighbors. Now, you may be thinking, well, it's like a chicken and an egg thing. Which came first? Like we don't know our neighbors or we don't trust them? Research suggests that we don't know each other, therefore we don't trust each other. And we suffer from this disconnection. The former U.S. Surgeon General Vivek Murthy in 2019 said we are living in an epidemic and that epidemic is isolation. He called isolation an epidemic. He went on to point out all the health problems that come from being isolated. Not only increased anxiety and fear, but also things like our cardiovascular system breaks down faster. Our brain function stops, to wor stops working sooner when we're isolated. The Harvard Journal of Medicine said that many men die prematurely. And what's their cause of death? They don't have a friend. We are suffering from disconnection. And the answer that I want to propose... What's an answer to this disconnection that we're experiencing? Too many of us feels like no answer at all. Church. It's like, whoa, what? No. How do we move from casual to committed and then from committed to connected? There's nothing wrong with casual. You need casual relationships. You can't bear your heart to everybody. You can't just like, hey, all right, you know, my name's Chris. I'm a teacher. Minute to mingle. Christian mingle, as Craig calls it, that no one is catching on to. But we're going to turn and talk to each other. And you turn to your neighbor and you're like, here's the hardest thing I've ever done. And they're like, ah, do you know where the bathroom is? Here's the worst thing I've ever done. We just don't do that. There's a, there's a spot for casual. Problem is, though, too many of us live in casual. Because moving into committed, that feels scary. The word committed, right? What do you want from me? 
You're asking me to commit? Oh, you probably want to control me. You want something from me. Because our experience has told us when we step into those places, we get hurt. And the benefit very rarely outweighs the cost. And so we just look at the situation, we say, I'll stay disconnected. It's not so bad. Right? I'll, I'll exercise so I can, you know, work out that cardiovascular system that's getting destroyed by isolationism. I can beat it. I'll beat it on my own. See, so many of us, we believe lies that send us into disconnection, and then disconnection tells us lies that keep us disconnected. And it's this spiral, and we're just going around and around the cul-de-sac. And then we hear things like Jesus saying, come to me, drink from this well, and whoever drinks from this well shall never thirst again. I came that you may have life, and that you may have it abundantly. And we're like, ah, abundantly? Like, I, you know, I feel like there's seasons of life, there's samplings of life, but abundant life, uh, maybe heaven. That's what he's talking about, heaven. That'll set everything straight. I believe Jesus is speaking to people and offering them something that will rescue them from disconnection and help them experience a flourishing life. To go from isolation, disconnected, into joy. And I believe we can step into those spaces that feel scary because of God's presence. God's presence helps us show up into scary faith places. And our confidence in God's presence is what empowers us, us to show up again and again in these faith spaces. He is with us. How do we truly experience that presence? How do we not just experience it, but how do we grow in our confidence that He's always present with us? When we put ourselves out there and it's not reciprocated, you know, I've dabbled in extroversion. And one of the bummers of uh, being extroverted is you put yourself out there a lot and people are just like, what? Bro, I don't want to talk to you. We're just, like, I just want to check you out at the grocery store. We don't need to talk. And you're just like, how was your day? How are you? You're the most interesting person in my life right now. And it's just like, you're not. Please go away. And it's that rejection. Like, oh. Well, imagine coming into a faith community, a community that, as advertised, says, hey, you can find home here. We're deeply connected to God, and we're deeply connected to each other. But we navigate that faith community with masks on. Nobody really knows each other. We don't share our stories. Do you know what happens in those faith communities? People don't grow. And if they do grow, it's sporadic. But stepping into those communities is terrifying. So what do we do? Well, we cultivate our confidence in God's presence. 
This morning, we're going to be looking at a passage where Jesus is laying out a path for flourishing for us. He makes a wild statement. He's saying, the things I'm about to tell you, I am telling them so that my joy will be in you and that your joy will be complete, will be mature. You're like, what? I need to see some receipts before we believe that. That's a crazy statement that Jesus made. The the Psalms, so early in the Old Testament, the Psalms, they say when Messiah comes, he will be anointed in joy. Covered, just, just swimming in joy. And Jesus is saying, what I'm about to tell you, I'm telling you so that you might have my joy. I'm like, what? And what's, how, what's his recipe for doing this? How do we do this? He says, give your lives to each other. Self-sacrifice. Lay down your life for each other. Love one another. And that's the path toward experiencing joy. We need help getting there. That feels like getting erased. That feels like losing ourselves. That feels like all our hopes, desires, dreams, our personalities, gone. How do we get to that spot? There's only one thing I believe that can get us there. Confidence in his presence. So Jesus is going to help us build confidence that God is with us. He really is Emmanuel, God with us. Even in scary faith places, even in a disconnected culture, he's with us. We can grow confident. We've got to push back on some lies, though. So, if you have a Bible, we are in John chapter 15, pushing back on some of these lies that disconnection tells us. John chapter 15, we're going to be reading verses 11 to 17. How can we experience that flourishing? How can we grow confident of God's presence? But we've got to talk about these lies that we tell ourselves because of disconnection. So John chapter 15, starting in verse 11. Here we go. I have told you this, this is Jesus talking, so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You're my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that whatever you ask In my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. Let's ask for his help to do that. Father, we don't have to look far to see disconnection. Many of us have experienced it. We've tried to put ourselves out there and we felt rejected. Many of us have just received messages that We don't belong, and we feel isolated, and that isolation stunts our growth. 
But God, if we're gonna if we're gonna get reconnected, if we're going to experience this this flourishing life you've promised, God, we need confidence. We need confidence that you really are with us. God, help us push back the lies that we believe and help us to see Emmanuel on the other side. In Jesus' name, amen. What we just read were Jesus's, some of his parting words to his disciples. He, this is the night he dies. Judas has already left. Jesus is waiting to get arrested. He's, he's coming. It's over. And so he leaves pardoning instructions. This is not the time for small talk. Jesus isn't like, oh my goodness, are you so excited for season three of the morning show? Oh, it's going to be great. Can you believe the new cast? He's not just like saying ridiculous things. He's intentional. He's drawing their attention like, hey guys, I'm about to leave. It's, it's going to get crazy in a few minutes. Here's something really important. What does he say? Look with me at verse 12. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. And just in case you missed it, verse 17, this is my command, love each other. The, this, is his, this is some of his last words to his disciples before his crucifixion. And it's really intentional, what is he saying? He's saying, give your life away to relationships. Love one another. We use the word love for way too many things. It's almost become meaningless. To where you can hear people say things like, well, I love my church. Doesn't mean I have to like it. I get what you're saying. It makes no sense, though. That's just not in Jesus' vocabulary. He's not saying, now, love each other. You don't have to like each other. You just got to love each other. Like, what does that even mean? I don't know what that would look like. Jesus is saying this. What does it look like to love each other? Verse 13, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. So many of us were told what it means to grow as a Christian, and we were told what it means to grow from the perspective of disconnection. You can grow without anybody. You don't need other people to grow. You just need a Bible, a notebook, and a CD player. And that's all you need to grow. And a, and a camera. You've got to put on Instagram too. That's not true. Jesus, as he's trying to help his disciples move toward this flourishing life, he said, I'm telling you this so that you may have my joy. What, what am I telling you? Give your life away to each other. Love one another. That pushes back on our isolated American experience. We like to think, uh, it's just me and Jesus. And that's lie number one, that needing others undermines my personal time with Jesus. If we're going to really experience that flourishing life, we've got to push back on these lies. We've got to tell ourselves the lies that disconnection tells us. And I don't need other people to grow. And if you're telling me I do, are you saying I don't have meaningful experiences with Jesus on my own? Because I definitely do. I definitely do. I've had meaningful worship experiences. I'm not talking to people. I'm just here alone in my chair. You know, I've been driving to work and I've sensed God's presence. I've been in nature and I'm like, whoa, God is so big. I am so small. Amazing. I don't mean to undermine any of those experiences. They're real, true, good. My prayer is that you have more of them. But the path Jesus lays out for maturity is one where we grow in interdependence. 
He says it twice just in case we missed it. This is my instruction. I'm leaving you soon. Here, here's, here, are, here are really important instructions. Love each other like I loved you. So much of what happens in the church that, that goes under the guise of love really is self-protection from disconnected people. We see people stepping out of line, not behaving as they ought to, and we just feel like we just have to rush in and correct them. We, 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 we do that, I don't think, because we're moving toward those people and self-sacrificing. We do that because, ah, I don't know what to do with that. That's scary. So we remain disconnected. But if we really are going really to follow Jesus, what he says, loving one another, we have to admit we cannot grow on our own. We have privatized faith. When I was a teller as a young man, I took a year off from college and was a teller at a bank. And this woman came in, and her name was all over the check that she'd given me. Like, it was her check. had her name all over it. A uh, check is like what uh, older people, that's how they used to spend money. Like, uh, you used to just write someone a note and say, this is money. And so that's what a check was, if you're confused. So she handed me a check, and you could get checks, like, personalized. It had, like, fish all over it, and, like, Bible verses. And I didn't know what to talk about, so I was like, are you a Christian? And she was like, excuse me? I was like, are you a Christian? And she's like, how dare you? That's a personal question. And she went and talked to my manager, saying, like, I'm, like, you know, religiously oppressing her or something. That's a problem that stems from disconnection. To think, oh, I can be a Christian, and that's a totally private matter. That doesn't make any sense. The Christian life is communal. We don't get our identities in isolation. We get our identities in community. We learn who we really are, not alone in the woods, but when we are, what, as Jesus said, giving our lives to each other. We learn who we really are. That sounds terrible for a lot of us. It's like, man, like, lay down my life for people. So, yeah, I got to be a doormat. I can't have any desires. I can't have anything I'm passionate about. I can't really do that. that. That is not what Jesus is talking about. He's not moving us toward self-erasing. Like, who's Craig? I don't know. What does this community want Craig to be? No, we show up as us. And, and, and what happens when we do? Look at verse 11. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you. See, we come from a scarcity mindset when it comes to this. Well, if I really give myself to a community, I'm toast, I'm gone, it's over. That's not Jesus' perspective. That's a scarcity mindset. And it's very easy to develop a scarcity mindset. Like, I almost am tempted to say, it's not your fault if you have a scarcity mindset. Everywhere we look, it's scarcity, scarcity. I mean, economics is built on scarcity. If you live in the western part of the United States, like, you see signs everywhere. It's like, the Colorado River is drying up. Don't wash your hands. It's like, ah. We see scarcity everywhere. It's not Jesus' perspective. Look at what he said. Uh, think about this as an identity statement. Verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you. We're not going to talk about Calvinism. Fear not. All right, we only pick one minefield to walk through each week, okay? So you can take a breath. And I appointed you, 
so that you might go and bear fruit. Fruit that lasts. That's amazing. Jesus didn't live in an industrial society. He didn't live in an information society. He lived in an agrarian society. And what metaphor does he use to talk about our lives when we give ourselves to each other? Fruit. That's a, like that's, that is not a scarcity mindset at all. Fruit is life. We need fruit to live. Fruit is our, is our well-being. You got fruit, you're going to be okay for the winter. That's what Jesus is saying. You're going, to have a, you're going to have an abundant life when you give yourself to each other. That's what God actually wired you for. That's our purpose, to bear fruit, to experience this abundant life when we give ourselves away. See, too many of us have bought into an American gospel. That's like, I don't need that. I don't need any of that. I just need me and Jesus. And that, that morphs into line number two. All I need to grow are repentance and obedience. Now, I already know my inbox is full. I'm getting emails. Hang in there with me for a second. Repentance and obedience are an essential component for the life of a disciple of Jesus. What does repentance mean? It does not mean we beat ourselves up when we mess up. It just comes from an old Hebrew word that means to turn. So I was going this way. Now I'm going this way. I was headed toward a life of isolation, toward myself, toward I just make what I can, can what I make, and sit on my can. Then I hear Jesus saying, no, give your life away to others. And I go, oh, I'm going to head toward that. That's repentance. That's turning. And obedience is just a positive response to a relationship with God. That's essential for our walk. But too many of us have thought that we've defined these things and we thought about it like this. Oh, all I need to do are avoid certain things, not watch certain movies, don't say certain words. Well, if I hear another Christian saying that word, then I can say it. And I'll be okay and show up at church every week. That's repentance and obedience. That's all I need. That's not all you need. That's, it, it, this makes no sense in the context of what Jesus is saying when he says this, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for one's friend. Jesus is not calling us just to abstain from things. He's calling us to proactively chase after relationships, to lay down our lives, which is why we need to talk about line number three, which line number three is very important. So many times when some of us get stuck off of one side of the road, like, oh, we crash in a ditch. We then get up and we go, I know how I'll never do that again. I'll crash in the opposite dish. So it's like, oh, man, I used to be super legalistic. Like, I used to think God loved me only when I obey. You know what I'm going to do now? I'm going to just smoke weed and sleep with strangers. Woohoo! Like, no, no, no. Let's not just run off the other side of the ditch. And that's why we've got to talk about line number three. If we talk about our feelings and struggles, we will heal together. That is not true. Now, we, we can't heal together without talking about our feelings and struggles. But so many times, what we accidentally do in church is we just create a setting where all we do is talk about our feelings and our struggles and we just maximize pain. We end up just sitting in our feelings and struggles and getting paralyzed by it. We call those places therapy church. And a therapist who I greatly admire, whose work and practice is shaped by his faith in Jesus, his name is Chuck DeGroat, he said this is one of his biggest concerns today is that we're creating therapy churches where we just talk about our feelings and we get stuck. That's not 
the side of the road we're trying to get you stuck in. We can't heal without sharing our feelings and without sharing our struggles. And if you're wondering what I'm talking about, we did a whole series on this called Feel. We're, emotions, good. I, when people say, don't follow your heart, follow Jesus, I have no idea what they're talking about. Like, that's a false dichotomy. Jesus made your heart. And he communicates to you through your heart. I don't know what you're talking about. But we don't just talk about our feelings as an end in itself. That's not loving one another. We want to remove our masks and truly be seen so that we can meet God in those moments. See, the problem with this approach of just talking about our feelings is we can get the kingdom without the king. We can get the healing from relationships. We can feel known and loved and cared for. And we don't need Jesus. Jesus wants us to feel known and loved and cared for and to meet him in those moments. That's the identity he gives us. Look again. We read it. Look at the verse before it. Verse 15. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you may go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last. Those are identity-shaping statements that we're able to move toward other people in relationship because God is present toward us. What does God, how does he see us? What does he think about us? Look again at verse 15. I no longer call you servants, but friends. A servant is someone who's been conquered. A friend is someone who's been won over. A servant has been dominated. Boom, I'm more powerful, I'm in charge, you got to serve me. Some of you were like, I thought that's what friendship was. Friends, though, there's the love and connection is what holds friendships together. And that's what Jesus is saying. That's why we love each other. Several years ago, I had the privilege of going into like a, the secret part of the Disney studio. I have a friend, he's a storyboard artist, and he said to me one day, his name is Jeremy, he said, do you want to see like the secret part of Disney studio? I don't even care about Disney, but I was like, definitely, heck yes. So I signed the scariest NDA ever. Like Disney's non-disclosure agreement, like you can't say anything you saw. There's an iPad, it has Mickey Mouse dancing on the top of it, like, oh, and then it says things like, if you tell anybody anything you saw, we'll take all your money and burn it in front of you. If you tell anybody anything you saw, we'll kill you. If you tell anybody anything you saw, we're going to sell your pets to Al-Qaeda. It's like, holy cow. This seems totally worth it. So I sign it. And then Mickey, like, literally, like, ha-ha! And then you're in. Like, ah, I just feel like a part of my soul left my body. Man, the stuff I saw, I think I can probably say some of it. Like, I... We're not going to say it. But I saw, like, really cool stuff. You know, just for all you 90s kids out there, you remember in those commercials where they're like, you better buy this movie before it goes in the vault. Remember those? Yeah, there's a vault. I've been in the vault. It's a real thing. Oh, it's so cool. But I'm not, I don't want to die. 
there were several moments. My friend Jeremy was also very extroverted. He's walking around talking to all these animators and a few celebrities. I don't know. John C. Riley was there, and like he's like talking. And then I just kind of like poked my head into places and wandered around. One of the things that happened when I did that was people would stand up and like look, like who who is this person? What are they doing here? And every time that happened, I would just go, oh, oh I'm with him. And they go, oh. I'm somewhere I don't deserve to be. I'm somewhere I don't have the credentials to be. But I'm with him. And now it's okay. Friends, what does Jesus say about us? He says this. You're not slaves. You're friends of God. And this is his house. Like, you know, this ain't the house Craig built. Right? This is Jesus' house and you know, you know the boss, you're friends with the boss. You may not have been connected and had status anywhere else, but now you're, you're friends with someone who really matters. And he says, oh yeah, I'm with them. They're with me. So when we put ourselves out there, when we take risks, when we're vulnerable and it's met with confusion, when we show up at a connection group, and we're like, oh, I thought we we're all here to share our story. Here's my story. And people are like, oh, can't wait till you don't come back. He's like, oh man, you can have confidence. What's your identity? A friend of God. Not every character in the Bible gets called God's friend. You know whose status you just entered into? People like Moses, he's a friend of God. David, friend of God. You, friend of God. I'm with him. And that starts to build confidence in his presence. Too many of us, though, live in the real world. Like, yeah, 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 okay, I'm God's friend. That's woohoo, cool. But, you know, I've been to church, Craig, and the stuff you're describing, I have not experienced. You know, fruit that lasts. Like, I thought, like, fruit inherently didn't last. Like, it rots on the, the counter, Right? All, any other Aldi's shoppers out there? You get it home and it's expired? <laughs> Jesus promises something that is unlike anything we've experienced, but I don't think that means it's not true. 90% of us cannot get excited about things we've not experienced. We're actually skeptical. Right? Okay, fruit that lasts. For a lot of us, our Christian story went something like this. We didn't know Jesus. We were living maybe in secrets. Like, we were just like, you know, nobody really knows me. I have this life over here. We meet Jesus, and then all of a sudden, it's like we're experiencing fruit. And it's like rocket fuel, and we're on fire. And we're just like, holy cow, I'm talking to strangers at coffee shops. They're like, oh, hey, can I take your order? Do you know Jesus? And you're, they're like, does he work here? And you're like, no, he saved me from sin. Can I tell you about that? And you're like, whoa, and get out of here, freak. And you like, don't even care. You're like, woohoo! Like, this is great. Like, you're going to every Bible study at church ever, and you're growing like crazy. And then you settle down, you hit 30, and you just kind of, well, I guess the spiritual life, you start strong, and then you mature into boring. Jesus is saying, no, you actually can experience that rocket fuel. You can experience growth and presence throughout your Christian life. That's what he says. Look at it again. It says this. 
I chose you and appointed you and set you up and picked you so that this would happen, so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. That's our purpose. We were designed and created to be a life-giving outpost of the kingdom of God. The reason we're not experiencing that, I don't think, is because there's anything wrong with us. I think a lot of us were given a faulty direction plan for what it means to grow. We were, we were wrongly told, I can grow on my own. It's just me and my Bible and Jesus. We were going to get that on a t-shirt, actually, when I first got here. Somebody said this to me, and I sort of have permission to say this. I said, oh, hey, we should get together sometime. And then this person said, I would love to get to know you, but I'm too busy reading my Bible. And I was like, wow, we're, that is going to be a t-shirt around here. Like, I'd like to get to know you, but I'm too busy reading my Bible. That Bible says things like you will experience the abundant life if you give yourself to others. But the problem is like, we're like, no, that feels weird. Are you sure? I think I'm going to experience abundant life if I figure it out on my own first. See, we have a, a hard time getting excited about this because we can't yet imagine what it looks like. And so we stay in casual. And we're, I'm not headed over to committed. Because I, I know what committed looks like. You get committed. Like they lock you up after that. Like you give yourself to a community you love. And then you get hurt. I've been there, done that, got the t-shirt, no thanks. And so we stay outside. And there might be though, there might be invitations for those of us who are on the outside looking in, wondering, can this really be possible? Like, is this baloney? Is this real? And those invitations come because Jesus actually steps outside and meets us where we are. See, Jesus is trying to cultivate a confidence in God's presence that will allow us to step into those faith experiences. We're not stepping in because we're not confident yet. And he's not saying, come on in, the water's great. He says, I'll come out. I will come to you. I will meet you where you are. How do I know this? This is how John's gospel actually ends. Peter, who was trending in his day, he had a lot of views. He was getting invited to conferences. People thought he was like the next big thing. He was in Jesus' inner circle. It seemed that he made leadership decisions. The other disciples looked to him, probably also because he was older, but they looked to him. He does something first, then they follow in that behavior. And then what happens to him? It gets hard. Hard times come. His confidence in God's presence takes a nosedive. And what does he do? He denies Jesus three times. Three times. Jesus dies. Jesus is raised. And then Jesus goes looking for Peter. And I believe that even failure can't keep us from God's presence. I believe that Jesus moves toward Peter to emphasize to emphasize it is presence that will get you back in the game, not willpower. It is presence that's moving towards you, nothing else. 
He meets a discouraged Peter on the beach, and this is what he says. When they finished eating, who's they? The disciples. Peter was hiding out at church. He's hanging out with the other disciples. He's hiding at church. And then Jesus shows up. He's like, ah! When they'd finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than these people love me? Yeah, Lord, you know that I love you. So what does Jesus say? Good. Go to the wilderness and just read a lot and come back. Feed my lambs. Invest in others' well-being. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Then Jesus said, don't just take care of them. Don't just make sure they're fed. Provide. Take care of my sheep. Be a gentle protector. And the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Now Peter was hurt because Jesus asked the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know I love you. Jesus said, invest, give your life away to each other. Feed my sheep. Now, this passage has always been a riddle to me. I've always been like, what? There's, there's something going on in Greek that many New, Com New Testament commentators have pointed out and just go, oh, huh, that's weird. I think I finally figured out what it is. There's two words in Greek for love. One is agapao, which it means like make an attachment to, connect your life to, give yourself away to. The other is where we get the word for this terrible place on the East Coast that the sun never shines and they boo Santa Claus. Phileo, Philadelphia. And that means like friend, like love each other like a friend. Jesus starts by saying, have you made an attachment to me? A lot of Philadelphia fans in here. Jesus says, have you made an attachment to me? It's a terrible place. Have you never been, have you never been there? I'm a little worried. We're not like, yeah. Okay, you'll get there. It's not nice. Do you, have you made an attachment to me? Have you given yourself away to me? He says, look, we're friends. We're friends. He says, no, 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 but have you given yourself away to me? And, and, Jesus, and Peter goes, no, we're friends. And then Jesus switches. He goes, are we friends? And Peter gets really frustrated. What's Jesus asking? He says this, are you going to give your life up? Are you going to stop with this self-protection? Are you going to trust me? I died and I'm back. Are we friends? Why? Jesus said this, greater love has no one than this than to lay down his life for his friends. What did he just do? He laid down his life for his friends. And how do we respond? We do the same. We lay down our life for each other. Now I know saying that can make some of you very worried. Oh my gosh, am I going to die? All right, I'm ready to die. Cool your jets, all right? Hang on. I'm not worried about you dying. That's easy. Anybody can muster up like missionary zeal for like a day. I'm more worried about you living to 80. Are you going to be able to continuously lay down your life for each other? Or is it going to get hard and you're out? Is this going to be a lifestyle for you? Are we going to be people who are shaped by this? Or are we going to be people who are like, it's too hard. I'm out. So there's some invitations. I think, that come from this passage. What could it look like in this season if we all as a church community gave ourselves to each other? What would it look like to really belong to something like that? How do we go, how do we actually go from casual 
to committed and from committed to connected. Many of us, we're going to focus on moving from casual to committed. What is a commitment that God might be inviting you to? What might he be inviting you to commit to? Around here, we emphasize health. We talk about health a lot. We do not want people serving on E. We don't want people running like, woohoo, I'm serving for Jesus. I'm burning out for Jesus. Like, well, we're not asking you to do that. We want you to serve from a place of rest and health and identity and have godly ambition. That's the two sides of the ladder we're trying to build. I think we've really emphasized health because we're afraid to call people to commitment, though. Like, man, if we call people to get in the game, we've got to have skin in the game. Man, we all, like, if, if we're really going to do this, it's going to take everybody really showing up. So what are the invitations for you that God has to walking toward commitment toward this place? Here's a couple I thought of. Invitation number one that God might have for you is to come 15 minutes early next week and just wave at people by the door. The early church, there was one outpost of the early church, I believe it was in North Africa. And they said of this place, this place was famous for welcoming visitors as if the visitors were Jesus. Don't undermine what the greeters at the door do. They're cultivating a posture of hospitality. Maybe the commitment that Jesus has for us in the season is just come back 15 minutes early next week and just wave at the door. Just what would it be like to really be welcomed into a place? Maybe we'd believe that that place loved each other. Invitation number two, be with kids. You've heard the last several weeks we've been making pushes. Our kids' ministry is growing and it's growing faster than our volunteer base is. You want, to be, you want to be in a place where you can learn unconditional love? Hang out with kids. They don't care how much you know. They don't care where you've been. They don't care how funny you are or how much money you make. They just know if you're being real. Here's another fun fact about kids. You want to know something? Kids are a people group where everybody belonging to that people group is fun. Adults are not that same people group. Not all adults are fun. Every kid is fun. You want to learn how to love people? Go hang out with a fun group of people that wants to be with you. That's not very hard. That's a beautiful invitation. All the adults here are fun. I don't mean that. Invitation number three, find a connection group. When we don't tell our stories, they lose their meaning. I'm constantly amazed. It happened to me this morning. People that I've known for years, and we've been around here together, I learn things about them like, holy cow, you? Wow, I didn't know that. We share our story, and then we witness. We see, hey, man, you have a story where God's really been involved. You're like, I do? I do? He's been? Wow. Find a connection group. Bless the city. We got to break this out of these four walls. We're not learning to love just for us. We believe Columbia, Missouri is disconnected and needs to be connected back to God and to each other. So bless the city. We have this thing we do called loaves and fishes. It's a way you can just rub shoulders with people. People outside these four walls who may be very far from God. Bless the city. And lastly, the new invitation, Compass Classrooms. 
We have two classes right now where the emphasis is like reading scripture and knowing your story. It's just this cycle that we think creates growth. Read scripture, know thyself. But if we do that together, woo, that is rocket fuel for your walk with Jesus. God's presence can empower growth. And if you're hesitant, like, whoa, I'm not ready to go there yet, I'm saying, don't even worry about it. He'll come to you. I'm firmly committed to this idea. God comes where he's wanted. God comes where he's wanted. So one of the new rhythms that we're trying to build in together after launch Sunday last week, we're just trying. We're trying. We're committing to it ever, forever and ever. Amen. We're trying. We're going to try to do communion every week together. Because we believe God comes where he's wanted and his presence empowers connection and we believe he's present in a special way in communion that he's not in other areas. Just like in uh, the Old Testament, the, the burning bush, God is present everywhere, but wow, he's super present here. You take off your shoes. God's present everywhere, but his presence is deep at this meal we call communion. So just a moment, we're going to remember how we received his presence. That a friend laid down his life for us. So we're going to remember that together and we're going to experience God's presence together. Around here, we say if you believe in Jesus, you are welcome to take communion. We're happy you're taking communion. If you don't believe in Jesus yet, we ask that you just watch this process. What's going on here? But if you've placed your faith in Jesus, this is for you. This is a time when friends gather. In just a moment, I'm going to pray. But before I do, there are four tables around the sanctuary. When I, when I say amen, you can just get up from your seat, grab the, both uh, bread and a cup, and bring it back to your seat. There's gluten-free options at every table. We don't want that to be an obstacle. And just make sure you just, we've ran into this a couple times, just try to spread out evenly so that, like, that's the hot table, you know, and everything's gone. So, and, and, an invitation that we've been practicing around here, we've done it once before, is ask someone near you, perhaps, just an invitation, ask someone near you to get the elements for you. It can be a way that we experience interdependence. Peter goes on to say, and Jesus says to Peter, hey, someday you're going to go somewhere and you don't want to go there. People are going to carry you. He's talking about getting old. And it's a way that as a community, we can experience interdependence. Some of us, getting around mobility, it's a challenge. But to be able to turn to someone and say, hey, would you grab these elements for me? Is a way we can experience what this passage is describing. So I'm going to pray that we experience God's presence. And then when I say amen, just grab some elements and come back to your seat and we'll take it together. God, my prayer is that this would not be rote. This would not just be a ritual, but we'd be showing up present right now. Ready to receive, expectant, confident, that your presence awaits us. God, we know you come where you're wanted and we confess you are wanted in this place. 
God, I pray your presence would overwhelm us and your presence would heal us. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This podcast is part of the ministry of Compass Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, please check out compasscfc.com.